They're getting smarter. Oh. They're changing their tactics. Who's trying that? to seep into our very homes to spread their message. Who, the birds? Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. So, yeah, basically oh. the birds. <laughs> They've. Uh, oh, is that the two? Is that the current resident letter? Yep. That was. They're writing handwritten letters. Ah. Because I remember Seems pulling. Seems like back. a very genuine way to evangelize. True. Um, Too bad the theology is very, very wacky. Yes. I read one of them, and it's like, very much buries the lead. Um. I imagine it's basically word for word, what, word for word, what they would say if they walked up to your door. It is the first paragraph of the handbook, probably. Yeah, but it's just like you ever notice that life sucks sometimes. You know, there's answers that can be found in the Bible, and then it's just like uh, the church. Oh uh, yeah, Jones. we know. And then, you, and like at the third or fourth paragraph, it finally starts talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. I was like, ah, okay, there it is. That's the that's the thing. We have received. The second missive from uh, from a person. Now it looks as if like the envelope is actually it, everything looks handwritten as far as I can tell. Um, not like like the it's irregular enough to be written by hand and not just like a cursive font put into a computer to appear thus. But I'm no forensic analyst, so I can neither confirm nor deny, other than speculate. But kudos to you for trying something different, I guess. It's a lot better than, like, that whoever that person was that used to, like, leave, like, vague, rambling, pseudo-prophetic statements on the windshields of people's cars at the Newman Center back in the day. <laughs> that happened more than once. It was just really incoherent and bizarre. Huh. Um, it was written, like, as if it was an Old Testament, like, prophecy, like, out of Jeremiah, where they're writing about the destruction of Babylon or something, but it was America. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting, uh, interesting time. I haven't heard of that happening or any sort of recurrence of that, but, uh, people, people find their ways to get messages out there. Maybe we could learn a thing or two. Maybe we should start writing handwritten letters <laughs> and doing a mass mail campaign. For Would people. you like to be one of the two listeners? Yes. <laughs> one of the sacred ontological two. <laughs> Just like bury the lead, though. It'd be like, you know, have you ever wondered what Catholics think so, think about movies and video games? Or, or no, actually, you <laughs> want to leave, bury it even further. You start with uh, video. Uh, there's these wonderful new visual mediums that we've had for the past fifty years, and that's movies. Books go as far back years. as Gu- as Gutenberg's press, but even like the monks who like made manuscripts in the Middle Ages. Speaking of Catholic monks from the Middle Ages, <laughs> I just like just go all the way through the history of like art, yeah, art and media up to this point. Now, you can listen to Back a podcast for dawn of time. <laughs> you can listen to a podcast where these Catholics go through these things in rambling detail. I mean, we're not exactly talking about Neolithic cave paintings and the stories they tell. Uh, that is not suitable for our expertise and podcast but, but the point we being can do to a, a troll podcast on cave 
caveman paintings someday. We've done one on a cave story. True. I was about to say a cave story, but like just kind of mislead where say we're talking about cave story and then we're just like looking at Google images of a cave painting and like making up a narrative as we go along for what's happening on the cave wall. I wonder if, and I bet this has happened, if there's like an indie game that has like the aesthetics of cave paintings Mm -hmm. where like it's like a 2D game but you're like cave paintings i saw one that was like hieroglyphs a, a cave painting platformer yeah <laughs> why not isn't that what is what is which, there was that uh, one move which one zelda game, game is it where you kind of go 2d onto a link wall? between worlds link between worlds i recommend it it's like link to the past but easier but imagine that but cave paintings i suppose huh there's also a puzzle platformer called the pedestrian that was interesting where you're a guy you're a 2D stick figure and you have to connect like different road signs for you to puzzle platform across. Interesting. Uh, I've never played it, but I've seen like bits of it played and I'm like, that's interesting. And apparently there's a place that the story actually goes because there's apparently a story to it. Hmm. Um, probably not a future episode. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Also not a current episode. But well, that'd be interesting if, uh, I guess one of the things that, um, really fascinates me about the cave paintings is when they discovered that when you have like torchlight or candlelight, the flickering of the fire on the walls creates sort of this illusion of motion. Mm-hmm. And they're thinking that they might've been intentionally created that way. Or at least um, in some uh, crude way, like have that intended effect. So, so they were the first animators. In a manner of speaking. Yeah. Um, Say all kinds of cool things to learn. They've actually, uh, apparently, those caves being open to the elements sort of degrades those paintings over time because they were just sealed away forever. So I was watching this video. There's this one place in Germany where they just made an entire, like, life-size replica of the cave for people to look at, and they keep the actual cave close to the public. Hmm. So, kind of interesting stuff. Um. Speaking of caves, how goes it in the homemade sound booth in uh, Nebraska? It is our last week here at IPF. Well, ah. I guess, yeah, a week from, about a week from today. Well, yeah, I guess Saturday as of the day of recording, but... Yeah, uh, when this episode goes live, will it will be the last week. Yes. And it is also the sole- the uh, vigil of the solemnity of me. Hmm. Aye, that it is. We are, as of the time of recording this, uh, Riley's, uh, I know we talked about Jubilees in one of the previous podcasts where we discussed the birthday. I think it was the last one I hosted anyway. It was my birthday. Yeah. But yes, we we are completing the trifecta tomorrow as our boy turns 25. Yeah. Within the, um, within the, I guess... I'm not going to say confines, but within sort of what you can do at IPF, you got anything going on tomorrow to celebrate or? Uh, we're going axe throwing. Ooh. Be fun. Fun, fun. That sounds like a good time. I've never actually been axe throwing. I kind of want to try it. I may have done it once, although I, it might, where, where would I have? I think I, I'm pretty sure I have. I just, I think it might have been. You like went axe throwing at your previous job the one time with your coworkers, right? Yes, that, so, that is correct. So you know what you're doing to an ex- to an extent. Yeah, yeah I've, I've done it before. I mean, it has been over two years now. Yeah, so. might be a little little rusty on the axe uh, throwing, but that'll that give you tetanus, fun. though. 
If if you got rusty, yeah. if if oh. we hit someone could, with it, could, sure. But the damage. idea is not to hit somebody with it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Unless you uh, bestow a personage onto your target, your inanimate target, but and that would just be cruel. Well, they wouldn't get tetanus from it though. No, because True. it would just be a block of wood, and a block <laughs> of wood cannot contract tetanus. Uh, that we know of. <laughs> If you drink alcohol from a rusty little uh, <laughs> tree beard uh, gets cup, tetanus, do you get a tetanus shot? Just, just like these people were throwing axes at me, and I got tetanus. I'm the first tree ever to talk. First of all, now, now I have tetanus. I'm a, I'm a wonder of nature. Why are you giving me rare human diseases? <laughs> well, not rare, but like you don't hear of a whole lot of people getting tetanus. It's because we anymore, got shots. anymore, yeah. I think I'm behind on my immunization. I should probably update that soon. Um, But yes, birthdays and axes and tree beard tetanus. (laughs) Birthdays, axes, and tree beard tetanus. Great episode title. There we go. Even though it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. No, Mm -hmm. but there are times where it doesn't have to. True. True. We, We did... Uh, several i think from the banter that we've done this is like the third in a row like the the shakespearean monkeys in warcraft 3 yeah 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 and uh which i have now reversed my position on oh since we uh yeah my my statement was coming from my computer science background that um you give us uh, give enough randomization, and you will eventually hit the desired result. Ah. But now that I have further studied language um, for my philosophy capstone, I would say that that's probably not going to happen, even if you've got because first of all, it's not perfect randomness. You know, mm-hmm. a monkey hitting keys on a keyboard is not actually perfect randomness. There's like always some kind of pattern to it you know yep Mm. and the patterns that those form aren't going to be language because humans are the only animals capable of what is really and truly language i suppose a monkey could over time type out the words that make up the um the text in question yes but it it may not like be but that tangible complete thoughts that wouldn't be At that language. point, you just have a dictionary. Yeah, something like yes. that. Even if it did match, it still wouldn't be language. Because no, because language is I intentional. Could... Language is also shared. Ah. Like, animals do stimulus response. You know, there's no... If I do this, then I get that. That's how, you know, animal behavior works, generally speaking. I suppose that Humans counts even this... for, like, their calls and noises that they make is sort of out of, like, I do this to get a certain result out of it. Right. Like, I'm and making that's... calls to attract a mate or mark my territory, etc. But without, like, they don't know why they're doing it beyond, like, the simple action to gain a response. Well, they associate it with whatever thing they're looking for, which is, like, the dog knows to ring the bell when it wants to go outside and do its business. Mm-hmm. The dog, when trained to like shake, is doing that in response to get a treat. So it yep. has associations with the actual object that it's seeking or the end that it's seeking. But it doesn't actually have the capacity to linguistically capture that. 
mm. because it is limited by its you know function of stimulus response it doesn't have the shared attention that humans can have mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um you can read more about this in my capstone paper. There we go. Second week in a row, I'm plugging my own writing. <laughs> <laughs> not even ordained yet, and you're plugging your books. Gosh. Or thesis, well, it's not I a suppose. Book. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like a 10 page paper. What else have we to plug? They're already listening to the podcast. Uh, fair enough. Fair Our uh, plans to do Metopia recordings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, our, we, we ought to continue. Our that. impending uh, YouTube adventures, I suppose. Uh, we... And I think we should jump on the, the Twitch content train. Hmm. I think that would be interesting. I think something like. It will be hard to do given that I won't be around much, but. Yeah. Uh, that might be something uh, for my playthrough of um, Twilight Princess. That could be very cool. We could do that. Uh, we have we are about halfway. Uh, no, we just finished a New Hope in the Skywalker saga. So we're about we're a bit of the way into Empire Strikes Back, meaning we're halfway through it. Yeah, the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the story, the anyway. whole thing, yep. all of the Star Wars that all, there is. All the Star Wars that there. Hey, I want to get to the at least get to the point where I can unlock Ben Swallow because that is an <laughs> unlockable alternate skin you can get for the for Kylo Ren. It is fabulous. <laughs> I also just discovered my favorite little side quest in the entire game. Oh, so yeah. you want to know how you unlock Greedo, the Rodian bounty hunter who didn't shoot first, but did kind of. Uh, so uh, you go on Tatooine and there's a group of stormtroopers who are like, we're investigating an altercation at a, at a cantina. We need you to help uh, clarify the uh, information. Can you go ask around and see who shot first? Did Han or Greedo <laughs> shoot first? Um, the results were inconclusive. And there was even one of the guys who was like, oh, yeah, I saw Han Solo dodge the bullet. And like, oh, you're referencing that specific edit of the film? Oh, I love this. This is my favorite game. <laughs> See, I would have thought they would like uh, reference the Clone Wars episode where the, um, what you call it, the blue people. Oh, the Twi'leks? No. Yeah, the Twi'leks. No, oh, not yeah, the yeah. Twi'leks. The Twi'leks were involved, but there are some blue Twi'leks. The New Zealand, the New Zealand blue people. Oh, the Pantorans or something like that. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of them goes after Greedo because he uh, kidnapped his daughters. That's oh, right. Oh, right, right, right. John's favorite accent, the New Zealand accent. Um, speaking of accents, we're the Palladium Papists. I'm James. I'm Nathan. And I'm Riley. We're doing a Philosophical this week on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? By the Coen, uh, the Coen Brothers film. In a world where one man will decide whether to pull a lever and kill one man, or not pull a lever and allow five people to die, find out in Philosophical. <laughs> Yeah, the part of the show where we get philosophical about films. Yes, sir. Uh, this and the of which we are partaking this week are <laughs> of a particularly southern variety. Of a very genteel nature. Right. So, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou was released in the year 2000. So it's... It is the year 2000. And it stars... The distant future. <laughs> the year 2000. <laughs> and it stars... Uh, George Clooney as Ulysses Everett McGill, who just usually goes by uh, Everett. Everett. 
Yeah. So gopher Everett. <laughs> three quarters of a gopher wouldn't satisfy me. You can or have one the third whole of thing. A gopher, rather. <laughs> we we uh, you can eat the whole thing. We already we found a whole gopher village. <laughs> I, I, he asks Everett if he wants to go for like four times. It's so good. We're, we'll get there eventually, but yep. let's recap to the start plot off real with. quick. Yep. So the movie begins as Everett and his two compadres, Pete and Delmar, are escaping from a chain gang. They are prisoners in the Old South in the 19 mid-30s. This mm-hmm. is um, the Depression era. So they try hopping a train uh, on their way out. Uh, they don't manage to, but there is an old man uh, with one of those hand pump cart things on the mm-hmm. train tracks, and they're like, "Hey, can we have a ride with you?" And he's like, "Old blind man." An old, an old blind man. He's and so they're they're riding with the old blind man, and he starts rambling on about, uh, "You are on a great journey. There will be many obstacles in your path. <laughs> <laughs> you will find the treasure, but it is not the treasure that you seek." Uh, and they're all like, okay, that was strange You'll see and ominous. see a cow on a cotton house. <laughs> and, and they're all like, well, what was that all about? And Everett's all like, well, some, some people deprived of normal senses develop, uh, powers ev- of a psychiatric, or of, a, of a psychic nature, <laughs> heightened senses and abilities. He's always got a rational, a quote unquote rational explanation for everything. And Pete's like, but he said we wouldn't find the treasure we seek. And he's like, he was just an insane old man. (laughs) Anyway, so it turns out the reason they're breaking out of jail is because Everett convinced his two compadres that he has a great treasure from the time he knocked over an armored car. uh, 1.24 million or something along Mm -hmm. those lines. And he's going (laughs) to split the treasure with them when they escape. So they're running across... 500,000 (laughs) each. Four hundred thousand, Delmar. Yeah. <laughs> so we're getting, uh, we're running across the countryside of Mississippi. Uh, we then they take a quick stop at one of Pete's relatives, uh, at his house, and it's, and Pete's like, "Hey, thanks for taking us in. Anything for Ken?" Uh, and it's all hard times and all. Oh, his wife has R U N O F F T, and. So they're but they're they're bunking the night in the barn, just like okay. So here's the plan: we're gonna go get the treasure. But then that night turns out, uh, posse with the bloodhounds shows up. Yeah, so come on out the of the barn. Man now. showed up because uh, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> Pete's Pete's kin sold him out for the bounty money, because it's that kind of desperate for money these days. Yep. As you even go against your they've own had team. they've got a depression on you know. <laughs> I gotta look out for me and mine. I. <laughs> and but then they we can't quote every quotable quote in the movie while we summarize. <laughs> Come on, give me give me a, give me some. Stop me! I dare you. <laughs> I will mute your microphone, Mister. The buttons are right uh, you there. You are closer. I don't know which board. button is which, but I will. Something something will happen. <laughs> Nothing good. Anyway, so they escape with a little help um, from their cousin's their kid. cousin's kid, uh, and they tell him to go home to his paw and mind his paw. They, they start strut- hitchhiking down the road. Well, they, they steal the car. They steal the car. Ways. Hitchhike down the road. And they come across a a crossroads where they um, pick up a young black kid. His name is Tommy Johnson. And he's like, oh, I, no, wait. I, they, they don't meet Tommy, Tommy yet. First, they're exploring. First, first, they're, first, they get redeemed. 
Oh, yep. My bad. Order of operations. <laughs> After the gopher incident, they come across a, um, a Protestant community that is doing baptisms in the river. And uh, they're rather Del enthralled gets, by the whole experience. Delmar gets enthralled by the whole experience and dives in the river and is like, gets baptized by the minister. It's like, gentlemen, I've been saved. All my sins done been washed away. And his testimony uh, convinces Pete to go get himself dunked and Everett being the air quotes rational ones like, you two guys are going to get nothing but soggy britches. Mm-hmm. So it's at this point that we meet that we meet uh, Tommy Johnson on the crossroads, yeah. Uh, and they pick him up they, in, their, in their stolen car, and as they're driving, uh, they're like, "Okay, well, well, what are you doing, Tommy?" I'm like, "Well, I was at that there crossroads waiting for to meet the devil at midnight because I sold him my soul to play this here guitar." And they're like, "And everyone's like, I'm the only one here who's unaffiliated. These two guys got baptized." <laughs> so where so where are you off to? And he's like, "Well, there's a man who'll pay you good money to sing into his can." <laughs> And so they, they drive up to this radio station, and they're like uh, the, the cross-eyed, near-blind old uh, radio station manager uh, sets them up with a recording, and they accidentally churn out a certified hood banger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and they get their, their money and go on their way because that's all they were there for, the quick buck and mm-hmm. the ability to buy Yeah. It. Uh, how, mu- how much are you paying us? What was it? like $10 a head. All right. Well, we're uh, there's ten of us. <laughs> there's only two of four. us are gonna have to sign with X's. They don't. They are, they don't, can't write none. <laughs> so anyway, um, as they are leaving, they run into a uh, an, uh, some a politician who's he's current, got like current this truck truck rigged up as a campaign wagon because he's running for re-election. He's the uh, Papio Daniel, uh, the flour mill owner, who's also the governor of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And his uh and and his uh opponent is running on reform. He's gonna sweep the state clean and root out corruption and stuff. That's kind of happening in the background for the entire movie. This whole uh, gubernatorial race, uh, and it'll come into play later. But um, they eventually part ways from from Tommy, and they're like, okay, we're well. Uh, the posse comes after them again, the and he, he takes off. They all take off in mm-hmm. different directions. And it's at this point that oh, there's there's a bunch of like little episodes that happen along the way. What happens? Don't they like steal a car from a gas station? Oh, they do steal a car from a gas station to use that. Oh, they run into George Nelson, George Babyface Nelson. <laughs> he's running away from the cops. I'm George Nelson. Uh, so they so he picks them up when they're hitchhiking and they do a bank robbery. They do a bank. Well, the two baptized people don't participate beyond standing there, but it's like. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't uh, found the light, I could see uh, how one might great get some great enjoyment from this. That's <laughs> all right, I guess. Well, like somebody at the bank called him Babyface Nelson. He got very um, put out by that, and because mm-hmm. uh, he's, it's sort of implied he's like kind of bipolar. So like when they meet him, he's all just like over the top exuberant, firing a machine gun at the cops and stuff. And they're sitting around the campfire with their ill-gotten gains, and he's just kind of depressed and wanders off into the woods. Leaves them most of the money, which they're like, fine, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> um, so so having this money, they go, they, they continue. They buy new clothes and stuff. And they, they've got George's car. they got George's car now. Um, but something catches Pete's ear, and he's like, pull the car over. Pull the car over. 
there's some siren singing going on. Yep. And so they go down to the river where there are these three uh, lovely ladies doing the laundry that uh, seduce the three men, get them drunk, and they all pass out. And they wake up the next morning, and Pete's gone. Nothing left but his clothes. Which, and a toad. And a toad in his clothes. And Delmar's all like, oh, no. They Those left three his heart. women, they... <laughs> They loved him up and turned him into a toad. <laughs> Not sure that's Pete. <laughs> it is Pete. Look at it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, Delmar's all distraught. and well, We have to go trying... on without him. <laughs> Everett's trying to talk sense into him, but they go to the next town. They put, air quotes, Pete into a shoebox and <laughs> set him on the table with them when they're ordering their food. Uh, and the amount and extravagance of the food they're ordering, along with the odd... Um, uh, object on the table catches the singular eye of a certain fellow played by John Goodman who calls introduces himself as Big Dan. He's like, hello, I'm Big Dan. I sell I sell the word of God. I'm a Bible salesman. Uh, it ple- it's pleasing to you folks. I figure we should get our lunches as a picnic and go uh, sit out and ha- eat out of doors. And so they do that and him and uh, Everett have some good back and forth banter because they are both uh, wordsmiths that they like to use flowery language and Delmar is all kind of just okay okay <laughs> but uh, turns out it was all a ruse because he intended to bring them out there eat their food uh, and then rob them blind mm-hmm. uh, so he grabs a stick whacks them both from the heads grabs their money and tries to get whatever's in the shoebox but when it turns out it's, it's just, just a toad, toad he just squishes it and throws it at the tree and, and takes off with their with their money and their car. The good news is that the toad wasn't actually Pete. We then learn or have well. The bad learned. news is that he they the uh, sirens uh, turned him into the law, and, and he's sort of ratted out the their plan to go after the treasure. And so now he's back in a chain gang, um, and they run into him in in the town where they're watching a movie. Uh, uh, the, just prior to that. Uh, they go into this town where there is a political rally, and this uh, new up-and-coming uh, governor candidate is doing his rally, and he's got people singing for him, and it's all this whole thing. And one of the groups he's got singing old spiritual, old-timey spiritual music is uh, Everett's Kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a group of daughters that are singing up there, and he's like, "Hey, where?" And he he, he meets like, them after the show, and they're like, "You're not our daddy. Our daddy was hit by a train." And what he's are you like, talking I didn't about? Hit by <laughs> okay. no train? What are you talking about? I'm the paterfamilias. Mama says you got run over by a train. Where's your mother? She's <laughs> at Woolworths. Her uh, her uh, suitor. Uh, well, the, she's engaged to be married to this other guy. Um, she, you know, wanted to divorce. Um, well, after Everett, Everett got prison. um imprisoned, she divorced him and. That's why he escaped prison. He wanted to get back and stop his wife from, from getting remarried. And she's mm-hmm. like, well, what have you ever brought to the table? You he's He's got a job. He's, he's bona fide. Prospect. He's bona fide. <laughs> what do you got? Nothing. He. It turns out he went to jail for not having a proper lawyer's license. Right. Which he hasn't told Pete and Delmar yet. Because yep. it's at this point in the movie when he's all... Frustrated over this women and how they're no good and how you should stay away from them, Delmar. Uh, it's at this point that they're watching a movie and the uh, the chain gang gets brought in for a break. Uh, and two rows above in front of them, they see, oh, it's Pete. 
and he's he, like, "Don't go after the treasure." In a very not whispered, whispered conversation, we thought you was a toad. <laughs> <laughs> we so, didn't. We didn't think you were a toad, Pete. <laughs> but uh, so Pete warns them. But uh, later that night, um, Delmar and Everett break Pete out of the uh, the quarters of the chain gang out of the prison. So they break him out, and he's all apologetic. I told him about the treasure, Everett. I'm no good. I'm just like my kin. I sold this out. And he's like, yeah, it's okay, because turns out there never was any treasure. And What would you have us come out of prison for? I had two weeks left on my sentence. Okay, no, I'm mighty sorry about that. <laughs> uh, he, he tells them the truth. Like, he was... They broke, busted out, and he was chained to them, so he had no choice but to bring it them was, along. Yeah, they, they were... Partners in convenience, really. Yep. But during their little scuffle, they roll down a hill and land uh, Ex- in a in a KKK rally. Yep. Uh, where they're about to lynch our little friend Tommy. Our, and like, wait, there's Tommy. We have to go rescue him. And so since they, they were all dirty and rolling around in the dirt, fighting each other, they're uh, a bit. Their skin tone has lost a couple, gone a couple shades darker mm-hmm. <laughs> at this point. Um, so they end up uh, ch- jumping the color guard and stealing their uh, uniforms and end up uh, breaking Tommy out of the lynching and mm-hmm. escape uh, narrowly. And it's here that we learn that uh, the go- new candidate for governor is actually the Grand Wizard and uh, his whole campaign crew is there with him, and as is our uh, Cyclops bi- uh, Bible salesman. Who they knock the burning cross over on top of to get away. Right. So as they're escaping, uh, they they try and... Yeah, they're evading the KKK, and so they're like, we're going to sneak into the back of the, the political rally because they don't know who's actually in charge. And mostly it's because Everett just wants to uh, uh, talk to his wife again mm-hmm. because her, the guy she's marrying is the campaign manager. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is awful convenient for the competing governor, yeah. and then the the current governor is in there all mad with his with his uh, guy his advisors, and he's which like, "What are we gonna do sons. to beat him? Yeah, what are we gonna do to beat him?" And so they sort of by happenstance end up on the stage and start playing music, mm-hmm. and they're recognized to be the Soggy Bottom Boys as they've come to be known because that's the name they gave the radio manager. So they start playing their song, which was their hit single. And suddenly the whole crowd goes wild, and they're like, what uh, okay. even is going on? Because, yeah, the so- the record that they cut at the radio station sold a lot of copies. So now they're somewhat famous. And uh, the um, the governor competitor guy comes barging in and be like, hey, wait a minute. These guys interrupted the our ceremony. And so he's all like, get them off the stage. They're, they're not even white. They shouldn't be here sort of a thing mm-hmm. and he gets booed out of the building and the current governor Pappy run out literally, literally run out on a rail right exactly uh but pappy's like "Ooh, this is my opportunity to endear myself to the people and mm-hmm. so he goes on stage dances with them as they finish their song and personally pardons them for all their past crimes and takes them under his wing as his new advisors and it's this whole great thing now they're all set and with uh, and with uh, the the disgrace of the uh, competitor, um, uh, Everett's managed to convince his wife to you know 
remarry one another, as it were. Right. Um, and she's like, all right, I'm not doing it without our ring. What are you talking about? That thing, do you know how far away our old house is where the ring is at? And that valley is going to be flooded in a few weeks or pretty soon anyway. So, mm-hmm. But she's like, nope, we, we, you don't, we don't get our old rings. We're not getting remarried. That's that. And he's like, mm, women, okay. He's like, I counted to three. Oh, did you hear that? She counted, counted to three. three. <laughs> so he heads off with, uh, Everett, uh, with Pete and Delmar and uh, Tommy and his crew going to go get the rings back from his house. But who's waiting for him at their house? But the posse. Because, well, Pete told them that's where they were headed. So. Well, that and uh, he has this um, affinity for Dapper Dan hair pomade. And it turns out he has an old, uh, huge stash back at the old house. So the hounds traced him there. And they notice these three guys digging graves. And they look over in the posse's here ready to hang them. Mm-hmm. It's like, we, you don't understand. I went out on the radio. We, we've been pardoned by the governor. And the sheriff's like, is that right? Oh, we ain't got no radio. <laughs> so they're doing it anyway. Mm-hmm. Better take your last moments and say your prayers, boys. Yep. It's at this point in the movie that there's a some divine providence because, as it turns out, even earlier the, in the movie it was foreshadowed and stuff. E- even the great skeptic Everett starts praying for their lives. Mm-hmm. When the uh, the the river that was being redirected into the valley comes crashing through. And uh, the posse gets wiped out, The and our heroes manage to grab a loose piece of it's a, debris. It's a coffin. It's a co- oh, it's one of the coffins, <laughs> yep. right. Yep. That's actually really great and poetic. Yep. Uh, and they're all like, the Lord we- heard our prayers and saved us. And everyone's like, well, it was a perfectly logical explanation. We knew they were going to flood this No, valley. come on, Everett. It was a miracle. And... Another miracle, they see a, a cow on top of a cotton barn, as was uh, foretold. foretold. And the treasure he seeks in the roll-top desk that was in his house that uh, Tommy's now using as a life raft. Yep. So with the rings in tow, uh, they head home, and Everett gets married to his wife again, and they have a fresh new start. She's like, this is my ring. You said I was in the roll-top desk. I so, got this out of the roll-top desk. No, it's a different one. He's like, well, I'm awfully sorry about that. <laughs> so they just happily argue off into the sunset. And there um, you go. That is... Uh... And the ending shot is just the old man on the on the pull, on the the push cart riding off on the railway. So yeah, that's, uh, that's our brother we're at, though. Yeah. So did you get a chance to watch it prior to uh, the podcast, Riley? Obviously. I have been making references to it. He has been. Oh, that's right, because you hadn't seen it prior to this, had you? I had not seen it prior to today. What are so. your first viewing thoughts on it? I was very much charmed by this movie. Yes, it is a very charming um, movie. It just has this kind of quirky adventuring that has, like, I haven't found in anything for a long time. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the the almost carefree kind of, wanderlust that is this movie it feels like like, you're reading a really good like almost tom sawyer-esque like yeah that sort of story i mean yeah it feels like one of those great american novels except for the fact that it's kind of just uh homer's the odyssey Mm -hmm. right down to their being indicated by 
the, the quote stack at the that they yeah. say it at the start of the movie. <laughs> right. And and they've got the the sirens, they've got the cyclops, they've got the whole nine yards. Yep. One thing that I thought was very interesting as a creative choice was the the use of that flood as the kind of saving grace. Mm-hmm. Because in the Odyssey, like Poseidon is kind of the main enemy of Odysseus. He's kind of mad at him for, you know, poking his son's eyes out, you know, the Cyclops mm-hmm. Polyphemus. So the fact that the water is what saved them is kind of a really interesting irony. But that Pete I and Delmar had... were baptized at the beginning. This is true. Which I'm, I'm just pointing out the, yeah, uh, the, the reference to the Greek. The contrast with the original work. The source material, yeah. Now, this movie's just incredibly fun. Like, it's insanely quotable, if, 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 in case yeah. you couldn't tell. <laughs> I'm a dapper damn man. <laughs> Um, I want no farm. Every, every time he wakes up, he's like, where? <laughs> they track him by using his hair nets. Yep. <laughs> That's what the bloodhound yeah. is sniffing. His, his hair, uh, his sort of, uh, his obsession with his looks and his uh, demeanor and all that, uh, and being a genteel man is sort of his undoing. But it's also just kind of, like quite literally, actually. Yeah. If you think about it, he's more style over substance. Yep. Right. And I think that's kind of one of the themes of the movie. He says he uses a lot of words to not say very much throughout the movie. Right. It's like he there's he presents himself in a way, but there's no substance underneath. Mm-hmm. He has credentials, but they're forged false credentials that don't have any. And he thing bona fide to back them up. Yep. So he's he's not bona fide. <laughs> yep. No. And you've got in this depression era people who are looking for something authentic. Everybody's something looking real. for answers is a recurring quote throughout the movie. And people looking for answers are easy to sell to. Yeah. People easy to manipulate. You've got people who are trying to be opportunistic about people's wants for desire for something greater right mm-hmm. it's like the the theme of using uh old-timey spiritual music yep uh it's connecting with them on a spiritual level but these these uh campaign rallies are using them to get sympathy mm-hmm. and hiding sort of a dark truth underneath that actually this guy is a kkk member what he means by sweeping the state clean is uh by getting rid of all the, the black uh, people the jews the papists all those people the kkk historically have been against yep um under the pretext of reform so yeah it's kind of, that's sort of yeah one of the like a big recurring theme in the movie is like that idea like that sort of duplicity mm-hmm and it's interesting that the thing that truly struck a chord with the entire state of Mississippi and endeared them to the plot story of the Soggy Bottom Boys is this old-timey the song. The Man of Constant Sorrow. Man of yep. Constant Sorrow. I think it's the only song written for the movie. Um, it wasn't sung by George Clooney. He was dubbed in. Yeah, Unfortunately, they didn't very, have to do much, much dubbing because of old-timey uh, microphones being yep, as large Yep, he as hit his were. mouth, yeah. He mimed singing okay. Yeah. Even though the voice didn't quite match, but it's like, ah! His Adam's apple didn't move. <laughs> that was the detail I noticed. But no, um, it's, it's interesting that um, 
the song he ad-libbed from the top of his head from just kind of coming from inside is what people latched on to mm-hmm. and so kind of this it's a, the song is sort of the story of a wanderer you know just kind of trying to find his way um and yeah pe- it really resonates with people and it's it speaks to like this their story throughout the throughout the movie because mm-hmm, the entire movie they're kind of wandering trying to find a way another thing i think it's kind of cool is how they rope in like actual hi- historical people from yeah Babyface nelson period. was an actual like bank robber and the the guitar player they meet uh tommy johnson that's he was an actual guitar player who legend has it sold his soul to the de- to the devil on a crossroads so that he could play blues guitar real good wasn't he sort of one of the sort of the early blues like musicians kind of yeah Kind of helps get the movement going. Um, Had a sick riff for Man of Constant Sorrow, though. Yeah. Um, it's actually kind of a difficult song to play. I've tried in a couple of occasions. Um, let's see. What are some other cool things we like about the movie? I really love the soundtrack on this movie. Yeah. We can it talk is. about more in BB. Just sort but... of this, the old Americana, old-timey music full kill it really it really stuff. sells the the movie it takes it from being kind of a it just makes the setting come alive yeah it, yeah it gives i couldn't it a really character. picture this movie with like a traditional mu- movie soundtrack honestly like it, yeah like right like you said it really sells the setting very well it kind of gives you like the feeling yeah i feel like i'm ambling down a gravel road in the old south and also like songs are what bring people together right mm-hmm. this is there there this is a song the opening about scene people. of the movie like yep whether all of the the whole thing gang together is singing this song and you know hitting rocks with a sledgehammer for undiscernible reasons mm-hmm. Presumably the, uh, having something to do with railroads but yeah it was interesting too how um like the song play at the beginning is big rock candy mountain where it's just like singing about this like wonderful place where these all these magical dreams, Willy Wonka land type thing will come true, and it's like it's sort of subtle storytelling because it's what like are they escaping to they're escaping to find a treasure. Yep. So that, to that's escape kind of fun. To, to escape the law to find freedom, but uh, it's not that simple. And that's like "You Are My Sunshine" is kind of a recurring song in the movie too, and that's like what they sing at like the rally at the end where like mm-hmm. things all come together, sort of. Finding that happiness. Or putting on a forced smile in the case of the politicians is what it feels more like. Yeah. Uh, a false smile to pat, to shake hands and kiss babies and tell them that I'm going to... I'm going to make everything okay. Just vote for me. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, it's kind of interesting, too, how like this, uh, this flower magnate and state governor is kind of uh, rotund as well as like his staff, but the general population is kind of worn and haggard and a little thin, you know, from the depression and stuff. Mm-hmm. Sort of the contrast there. It's kind of interesting. Let's see what else is there to like that wouldn't, I mean, we've already kind of crossed into some of the transcendental territory. We can always read like some just general themes that I drew from the movie, particularly on this most recent watching. Cause it's been a while since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. I grew up with this movie in my house. In fact, um, my dad plays music, as you both know, and most of the listeners do. 
and one of the things we would do is we would play uh, music at the nursing homes mm-hmm. when in the before COVID play times. Play the old timey music. And well, that's what old people like, old timey music. Mm-hmm. And we p- ripped off half the soundtrack of this song <laughs> or this, this movie. Uh, nice. I have, I have distinct memories of uh, Highways and the Hedges in front of old people in the nursing home. It was great. But like this... The, the music is, is one of the best parts of this movie, the soundtrack. Yep. Uh, Even like just... I'll, we'll talk about that when we get to Beauty. Never mind. Cool. Should we get into the analysis then? Alrighty. Truth. What are some truths we can find in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Appearances he is can a be man deceiving. of constant sorrow. Yeah. I suppose that's sort of that the Christian idea that we are pilgrims in the Valley of Tears until we reach the final destination of heaven, the treasure yes. that we seek. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the treasure it's, that we seek is not what we will find. It's kind of alluded to in the movie overall. Um, and being a sort of very like Bible Belt area of the country, that's sort of a a background idea in the mm-hmm. culture. It's not as like consciously expressed, but it especially in kind of the Great Depression time, it's mm-hmm. it's just so lived. Like, yeah, that was most people's experience of the '30s. Just like, you know. Struggling to get by. Suffering. How are we gonna feed all of our children? How are we gonna keep the farm going and keep everything from blowing away in the dust bowl that's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm. It was just kind of an existential thing going on with people. It's just the constant suffering. And there are answers, and there is truth out there, and everybody is looking for it. It's just. There's some people who are getting by and other people who are exploiting others to get ahead. And that's very much like you see all all characters across the spec that spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit of both. Like, you know, Pete's cousin who's trying to get by but sells out his kin to the, to the law for the reward money. Um, and then the Bible salesman who's just straight up, you know, pretending to be a man who's providing people with the word of God, but is just kind of using that as sort of a, to give people, lure people into a false sense of security and mug them. And then there's a lot more going on under the hood. Yep. The, the long pointy white hood. Yep. <laughs> I think that, that sort of bit with the, with the Bible salesman, my brother, who's also a fan of Coen brothers movies in general, but particularly Oh brother, where art thou? pointed out that there's a Flannery O'Connor short story where there's a Bible salesman who um, sort of uh, he tricks a young woman into like um, letting him into his letting him into her house and he ends up like running off with her prosthetic leg or something like that I'd have to look into that to see if that was actually like what inspired the, that the adaptation of the, uh, the Cyclops, Cyclops or if it was some sort of reference if so that'd be kind of an interesting connection because there's already a lot of connections and references throughout yeah. the entire thing. Naturally to the Homer's Odyssey and Obviously. so forth. But also just to the Even history. the name of the main character. Yeah. Yeah. His, yeah. Ulysses Everett. Ulysses is the Roman version of Odysseus. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Any other truths? 
So what if the the real treasure was the friends, friends we, we made along, along the way? way. <laughs> what was the what if the real treasure was the wife that didn't divorce you along the way? <laughs> yeah. Actually, though, they they seek after treasures, but then yeah, the real treasures are what they are. You know, in their relationships. In a time of great poverty, it turns out the wealth you have is the people who love you. Mm-hmm. And also Everett needed to kind of learn. Because well, he's got like seven kids, seven daughters or right. something like that. Uh, but also having to provide for them now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sort of that, you know, traveling in constant sorrow and looking for redemption, you know, getting saved by being baptized in the river, that type of thing. It's like, I'm forgiven for all my sins, the preacher said. <laughs> I, even for knocking over that piggly wiggly. You said you was innocent of those charges. Well, I was lying. But I've been done saved by from that sin too. <laughs> oh, Delmar is such a joy. Yeah. What was what was Pete in prison for? I forget, I forget. precisely. I don't know if they said. Yeah. They did. I forget. It was something minor. He's like, I had yeah. two weeks left on my sentence. It might have been something financial or something. Mm-hmm. I forget. Uh, should we get into uh, goodness? What is good in uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? As flawed as they each are, sort of the um, the friendship that Everett... Um, With Pete and Delmar? De- yeah, Pete and Delmar form over the course of the movie is... Overall good. Particularly at the at, toward the end with Ever- on Everett's part because mm-hmm. he started out and for the most of the movie, he is a... Kind of a conniver. He kind of is. Um, but towards the end, he realizes that kind of emptiness, that he's not actually... Um, you can't actually make up for your shortcomings by smelling of pomade and using flowery language. Remarkably similar character to him in Fantastic Mr. <laughs> Fox when you think about it. Maybe that's mm-hmm. just George Clooney coming out. Yeah, that uh, might just be George Clooney. And while at the end of the movie he's not a totally changed man, he is on the he's on the road to redemption. Well, at the end of the day, he just wants to get his family back. Right. And now he has a reputable job and he has he can make up for his past he's been pardoned of his past actions. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. He's also got a hit single under his belt. Yep. Pete and Delmar. <laughs> They're fun. Delmar is such, just such a pure character. Yeah. So so genuine. <laughs> like uh, that man is a gold mine of quotes. Yep. <laughs> uh, I thought you was a, a toad. toad. <laughs> what? Gopher Everett. Care for some gopher? Would you like some gopher Everett? <laughs> <laughs> he like offers four different times. And, uh, like, uh, he's only motivated by us. Like, well, I want to get all this money so I can buy back the family farm. Um, beauty. What is beautiful about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? We, yes. we talked a lot about the music. And the music is great. Even, like, this incidental mood stuff when they're sitting around a campfire and somebody's playing a guitar. Yep. It's just kind of real. It's just kind of like, uh, we just had a big, like, event happen and we're just decompressing while... Somebody plays the chords to Constant Sorrow. Oh, man. Also, um, the editing in this movie is really tight. Like, the whole opening sequence is like a montage interspersed with, like, the opening credits, like an old silent film title cards. Like, it sort of very quickly tells the story of them escaping and running from the law. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the the cinematography, the shot composition in this movie is also really good. It yep. caught my attention particularly in the scenes when they were recording uh, at the radio station because mm-hmm. there were scenes where like they're behind a glass window and they're recording and there's the uh, guy listening on the other side. And there will be several shots where the, the you're looking through the window, but you see the just people awkwardly humming on the other side. And it just gives such a fantastic sense of space and sense mm-hmm. of uh, closeness. It's so good. The um, there was another scene later when there's just another um, uh, montage from them on the run where they're burning whatever they can in the fire, and there's a newspaper that gets thrown in there, and the front page is um, talking about the, the the valley getting flooded, which mm-hmm. is subtle foreshadowing. Then the top page burns away, and behind that page is the soggy bottom boys of the who mysterious... Are who are they? They they made their mysterious signal and ran away. So, yeah. like, some good, like, storytellings, like, as time progresses, they're getting more famous. Yeah. And, well, the, the valley was flooded. Is like It was like the Tennessee Valley Authority. It was like a government program in the... 30s to try to provide hydroelectric hydroelectric power to the south by flooding a valley. Anyway, uh, just a little historical background there. Which, also, the color grading. I believe this was one of the first films to use digital color grading, and yes. it sort of gives everything sort of this sepia like patina, yellowish, almost. greenish tinge. It has a tint to it. Yeah, it's not like full on sepia tone, but it has enough of that it color gives, and flavor. It gives like the feeling of an old. Um, old photograph and the lighting in a lot of the scenes is just like yeah somebody like took a picture of like an old um like an old uh, photograph of all these things happening and you're just kind of watching it play out like it's like you notice at first it's kind of jarring but like one thing like i didn't really find it jarring myself well i mean at the beginning but you really get used to it like it just sort of feels right from the outset for me it was just like it set the mood of the movie. Yeah. Just this like, movie has a vibe and a character. Yep. Yeah. And that bears out in all like the visuals, the editing, and the and the soundtrack, the dialogue. Oh, uh, the dialogue is so good. It's so tight. Yeah, it's really good. We're in uh, a tight spot. Yeah, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> I think he says that like four different times. One of my favorite quotes from this movie is like the uh is like the the sheriff and he's like Sweet summer rain, like God's own mercy. I'll just like drop that at random times, and nobody understands the reference, but that almost makes it better. <laughs> and it was, I said it one time when people were raining, people were just kind of like, "Yeah." And I was like, yeah. <laughs> "They don't know. <laughs> they don't know." I'm quoting, "Oh brother, where art thou?" <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, sort of the sort of like yellowish sepia tint kind of gives the old timey feel, but also like. Sort of the oppress- oppressiveness of the uh, hot southern sun, and sort of like the desolate kind of gloomy times of the depression, mm-hmm. sells really well. So it, it turns serves- out they were depressed because they didn't have color. <laughs> <laughs> There's never like a Wizard of Oz moment though, where like the color returns though. No, like they're Which still very much in this land fit. of constant sorrow, but uh, but they managed to find little bright moments in between. Um, I suppose the exception would be like when the flood comes, it's, everything's sort of a gray for a little bit there. Right. But but that's because it's underwater. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose you could c- connect that to the theme of like, you are my sunshine, you make me happy when skies are gray. Like, 
the sun the sun is sort of oppressive, but hey, this it's it's also kind of encouraging. It's a, it's yeah. It provides the warmth and yep. the light. So yeah, that's kind of the mood that the lighting gave me. Mm-hmm. It was just this kind of nostalgic kind of warm light. Mm-hmm. The, that's the sort of mood that it, it gave me. Um, Basically any other throughout the film? Yeah. Any other elements of uh, beauty you want to talk about? Just overall, excellent film. Definitely well, really well watch. put together. So yeah, uh, unity. What brings everything together? I'd say everybody's looking for answers. Yeah, and it can feel like constant sorrow sometimes. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't particularly like bluegrass or old-timey folk songs, Man of Constant Sorrow slaps. <laughs> Listen to it. Oh, yeah. I really or the just, acapella recording is my favorite. That mm, one just, they, mm. they, they do that really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and really sick guitar riff. Any other comments on Oh Brother, Where Art Thou before we finish up? Watch it. It's good. I, yeah, I love it. With this, I've never actually watched Fargo despite, well, everybody knows that it's not, it has really nothing to do with Fargo, but it's directed by these guys. So I'm curious. I've heard like there's several other Coen Brothers films, I think like Hail Caesar and a few others that are supposedly really good. So maybe we'll have to give those a look. Maybe. In the future. If you like them, how can they uh, tell us to watch them? Well, um, thanks for listening to the Palladium Papists. You can listen to us on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Please leave a rating to let us know what you think of the show and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Palapapists. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, or complaints, or suggestions for future episodes, email us at palladiumpapists at gmail.com. And we will uh, talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye. See you.